there's a reason why for thousands of years, the measure of wealth was how much land you own. If you look at the wealthy and the patterns of what they implement through generational wealth, two industries stand out. It's real estate and it's insurance. We're here to empower high-income earners to gain back control of your time through financial independence and stop trading your time for money and start letting your money work harder for you. And hey, if you want to meet other high income earners on their FIRE journey, join our High Income Earners FIRE Facebook group. Every month we'll have guest speakers and we'll share about what our team is currently working on and allow you to share what you are working on with other high income earners. High Income Earners FIRE podcast is brought to you today by Bonavest Capital, where we partner with investors to build up passive income through real estate syndications and start living a lifestyle by design. As well as Say Yes Stock Option Investing, where we show high income earners how to generate consistent cash flow with your phone and accelerate your journey to financial freedom. Welcome back to today's episode of the High Income Earners Fire podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, along with my host, Cody Ye. And we've brought on another fantastic guest for you, Daniel Kwok. And he first immigrated to the United States with his family at the age of five. And at the age of 20, he had a negative amount of $187.65 in his bank account. And after two years of learning real estate investing, he was able to do his first real estate deal. And by age 23, he had 83 rental units under his belt. And he's also raised millions of dollars in capital and also did a variety of different deals and strategies. And at the age of 26, he founded Mioti Partners Capital, a core satellite fund that has introduced the equities fund management model into the real estate space for the first time. And Daniel and his brother currently run an online financial education company, along with a really successful YouTube channel, The Quack Brothers, that currently has around 270 subscribers. So Daniel, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. By the way, did you mean to say 270,000 or 270? 270,000. Okay. Right? It could be both. You know, I mean, I could <laughs> just start a new burner 000. account and, you know, just have 270 people. That works too. <laughs> That's probably the entire Canadians subscribing to your channel. There you go. That's right. <laughs> it's good to be here. Good to see you guys again. Good to see you. So, Daniel, can you give us a little bit more about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as you said in the bio, you know, our family, we immigrated here. And, you know, I always tell people poor is an understatement of kind of what we went through. We had the scenario where like, you know, the rooms when you flicker the light on and all the cockroaches run to like the outsides (laughs) of the walls, that was our living situation for a good amount of time. But I remember there was one scenario where I think I mentioned this on your previous episode, which if you guys aren't watching Eileen's other podcast, come on, what are you doing in life? You gotta, you gotta go check that stuff out. (laughs) Uh, But I remember it was like late at night early morning, like 1.30 to 2 a.m. ish, I was six years old looking out at the window and our living situation when we first came to America, we lived next to, let's call it a gentleman's entertainment center that was very popular at nighttime. And so I was looking out and I was watching people watching, right? I wasn't watching what was happening inside, thank goodness, at six years old, but I saw this guy stumble out and he was a bit of an older guy And I was six years old, but I was old enough to know that what he was wearing was extremely expensive and it costed Mm -hmm. a lot of money. And he got in a car where I could also tell that was a lot of money and Mm -hmm. the guy was stumbling, right? So he was drunk. Mm -hmm. I see him swerve away and I turned 90 degrees to my left and I saw my parents or the nicest, God-fearing, humble, you know, I mean, my dad was the type of guy where, you know, like if he saw a homeless guy, he would just give the shirt off back. And I turned over to the left and I see them sharing a twin bed, 
in a room that doubled as their room, our dining room, our living room, and our kitchen. And I asked myself the questions like, man, what would the world look like if the people who had my dad's heart also had the knowledge of the guy stumbling out of the gentleman's entertainment center that night? Like how differently would the world look? It would look a lot different. I would make the argument. So from that point forward, you know, I kind of made it my life mission to answer that question for myself of going, man, what would it look like if the world's top producers, whether it's, and it's not money, right? Like that's what people don't understand, right? Because there's people like AOC who are like, oh, tax the rich, which, you know, that concept's been proven wrong time and time again. Mm-hmm. But what would it look like if the people who produced the money had the ability to produce those resources, the intelligence and the structuring and the strategizing to create those resources, allocated that talent towards solving the world's biggest problems, helping our local communities and really, you know, saving the world one step at a time. So, I got started in entrepreneurship at 18 years old, 19 years old. My brother and I first owned a DJ company. And I love the title of this podcast. It's all about high finance individuals, high performers, high income producers, learning about passive income opportunities. So when my brother and I were doing the DJ thing, we made like $8,000 a month or something like that, which that's for crazy. us time, That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, that's pretty really good for good 18 years old. 18, 19 years old. The problem was is that every Saturday we were allocating like 14, <laughs> 16 hours. Like we had to drive. We First of all, we had to get the U-Haul, right? And then we had to wake up at like 4 a.m., get the U-Haul, load everything up with all our equipment, which by the way, isn't light, right? And we had to drive like three, four or five hours, wait till, I mean, just to set up, we were the first person there, last people out. So we were just kind of like, all right, like we're working hard, got to work smart. And this is what this episode is going to be all about. It's going to be high income producing people working even smarter than what they are now. Mm-hmm. Wow. That definitely, like you already look really young. You start your first business when you're 18, 19, and within one year between age 22 to 23, you really scale up that, right? So take us through that, like age 22, how do you to your first deal and then scale up 86 unit in one year. Like what hit you at that point? Yeah. So it's really ironic because all three of us are Asian that I'm using this analogy, but I was like a bamboo tree, right? Uh, So, you know, like bamboo tree, right? Like it doesn't grow for a very long period of time. And then like a very short period of time, it just like sprouts up, right? So between the ages of 18 and 22, I was obsessed with learning about finances, investing, markets. Like I was just obsessed. Anything I can get my hands on, every waking opportunity, I was answering the question like, hey, why did my parents and my our family grow up really poor? And you know, other people grew up not that, right? <laughs> like with more resources, what did their parents do and their parents and their parents and their parents? So as much as I could learn that real estate is by far the most withstanding sustainable asset that you could invest into, right? Like I think there's a reason why for thousands and thousands of years, the measure of wealth was, hey, how much land do you own? How much real estate mm-hmm. do you own? So I always tell people, even especially the high income producing ones, you know, if you look at the wealthy and the patterns of what they implement through generational wealth, mm-hmm. there's two industries that stand out time and time again. It's real estate and it's insurance. So it's those two things. So in this very high inflation market right now, where a lot of people are suspecting, you know, let's say a recession or a crash or a correction of some sort. My personal investment portfolio, I'm putting it a lot into cash flowing real estate with fixed rate, well-structured debt and whole life insurance policies where I can overfund it and I could have it paid, you know, pay me dividends for a very, very long period of time. That's kind of how I'm protecting my money. So I learned everything I could about finances and I worked for somebody for free at 20 years old. So I found the property manager who had been in the game for about 40 years. 
And I said, hey, you know, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. Let me just learn and work for you for free. So I used to do door-to-door sales, which if you're <laughs> listening and your background is in sales, congratulations. Like I always say that is the foundation of entrepreneurship is sales. Like if you could be good at sales, like you will do fine That's in just it. about anything. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I used to door door and then I learned, I worked for him for free. So using my sales tactics, I learned how to raise capital. And I learned that that was a very valuable skill very quickly in the world of real estate investing. So we did deals together and then I went off on my own. And then that's kind of how I got those 83, which was 87. Yeah. Depending on how you look at it, it's 83 or 87. That's how I got to 80 something doors by 23. So while you're working free for him, were you still doing DJing on the side also? Like yeah, how are you generating yeah. income? So my brother was the DJ. I was the MC, the MC'd <laughs> all the stuff. So we did that for a little bit. And then we started a affiliate marketing company. So we were doing that while I was doing... So my brother was doing that because my brother is a marketer. Like he's very good at marketing, very good at tech and mm-hmm. creating a, a digital marketing really is like his forte, right? Oh. He was doing that while I was conducting our deals. And that's kind of how we survived, right? During that time. And, you know, we ate ramen noodle. I mean, just the bare bones as much as you can get. I mean, I would sleep in the office many times and just, you know, just was willing to put in the work. Wow. So you say your sales skills help you raise that capital to grow to 83 rental units. Can you tell us a bit more of that? Like, what was the structure? Is it like typical 50 50 or is it? Like, how was it back then? (laughs) I'm sure it's different now, but what was the deal back then? So it was 60-40 and not in the way people think. So if you look at like the real estate syndication world, typically LPs take 70 to 80% and then GPs Mm -hmm. take 20, 30. I took Mm -hmm. 60. GPs, I took 60. And people are like, how'd you get away with that? And it's not that I was great of a sales. Like I still tell people to this day, like I have one-on-one coaching clients I've worked with in real estate. And I tell them like, look, I'm not a good salesperson right? Like I'm an okay salesperson. I'm just really, really good at creating a scenario where people want to buy. Like I tell people, like if you're an entrepreneur, or if you're a real estate investor, you shouldn't be a great salesperson. You shouldn't. Because if you're offering the right product, if you're offering the right structure, the cap, like if you're doing everything the right way, you shouldn't need to sell that hard. You should have people lined up around the corner wanting what you have. And that's true of any business, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you have to forcefully get people to buy your product, Chances are it's not a good product or it's not as it's not very competitive compared to the other ones out there. So I always tell myself three questions whenever I start a new business is number one is who is my number one ideal client? And mm-hmm. number two, what is the market telling me? And number three is what is my irresistible offer? So number one, my ideal client was actually physicians. I targeted a lot of doctors. Reason being is because my bread and butter at the time, something that I really resonated with was multifamily real estate. Mm-hmm. And I probably talked to hundreds and hundreds of people in terms of like, hey, what are you looking for out of real estate? And a lot of the physicians and doctors who wanted to be passive investors said, yeah, I need the tax benefits. So that was my ideal client. My entire marketing strategy on how to find those people were around doctors and physicians, which made it way easier. The more clarity you do have, the more a lot of times flow and better results you get in your business. Mm-hmm. And then I provided my irresistible offer, which was my irresistible offer was, hey, I'll give you 100% of all the depreciation in this deal and the tax benefits. And so from then on, it was a no brainer for people who wanted to work with me. And then, you know, around that time, what the market was saying is, you know, this is 2017. So it was like bankers were still saying it was a low interest rate environment, which we like now know in hindsight. A 5% interest is not low, right? Like we saw 2.4, 2.5 in the 30 residential space. So it's like, all right, right. 
so those are the two things. So I created a scenario where like people were lining up, people were throwing money at me to do deals because you know I had a really great offer. And I had a really good target audience with a very specific product for the people. And really, it was anything. Like if you're starting a business, if you're looking to generate a stream of passive income, I think that's a great mentality to have. After you did those 84 units after that, what did you do afterwards to continue building up? Because I mean, you're still pretty young at this point in time. I mean, you're still young now, but earlier then, it's still early on in your career. You're still just getting started. What did you do after that? And how did you, did you continue saving? Did you continue investing? Did you diversify? What did you do? Yeah. By the way, I love how it's like 84 and 87, 83. Like we're just going to keep going. It's going to be 80 something, right? So after that, I actually got asked to do a lot of speaking engagements, a lot of speaking mm-hmm. engagements. Like I was on probably three, four flights a week going to three or four different cities per week. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was doing the thing that I would now advise 24-year-old Daniel at the time to do, which was go out there and network and meet as many people as you possibly can and find some way to stand out. Mm -hmm. Because I realized it created like a lightning rod, right? Like Mm -hmm. four opportunities. That's what I realized. So like I have opportunities sent to me today where it's like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in three, four years. Like last time I saw you, I was in LA teaching a room full of 200, 300 people about real estate. And you bring me this deal that, you know, it's a board game company that I invested in, right? Like at the time, so after I got those 80 something units, right? I started traveling a lot, started, you know, writing books, started writing content, and I found ways to stand out. And the way I found ways to stand out was, you know, deliver instant value. So that's one of the best things to get people to remember you is, you know, one of my habits that I had and I still do today was when I, as soon as I met somebody in a networking event, I would ask, Hey, what are your biggest problems in your business right now? Like, what is your biggest obstacle you currently have? And nine times out of 10, it was just me simply introducing that person to somebody else that I already met in the previous city or like Mm -hmm. three days before or three weeks before. But to them, it was just tremendous amounts of value that I brought to them, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. And I grew my network immensely. And, you know, between then and now, so it's been about four years, I'm 28 today. So that was 24. So during those four years, my brother and I scaled multiple seven figure companies, eight figure companies, we're passive investors on a lot of different things. And at the core, like if people are like, how do I generate a portfolio of passive income? Because I think that's what a lot of people want. In my opinion, the most important thing, which is the equivalent to like breathing air, if you're a human being is to network. Like network with as many people as you possibly can, because that's where those opportunities are going to come. The ones that are really, really good. I'm not talking about the ones that brokers send you or you find on a publicly, you know, public platform. The ones that are really, really good, that are exclusive, that are very opportunistic, they typically come from a friend of a friend of a friend or in in your own network. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I love it. So you were actually using a GPLP structure at the age of 22. Who taught you that? Yeah. So I bought a lot of courses um, and I, I didn't go about it in a very intelligent way. I like bought them with credit cards. My brother and I both did. So we bought a at lot least of you guys get to split in half. <laughs> yeah. Right. For sure. Um, so yeah. Yeah. We paid for it through credit cards, working for people for free networking events. I took a lot of people out to lunch 
mm -hmm. do remember that like between the ages of like 20 and 24 25 and i still do it today but for different reasons yeah. i mean every real estate attorney property manager professional that i found i would just take them out to lunch and go hey like can i just have an hour of your time where i could just ask you 80 questions you know about what you do and how you do it and why you do it so yeah i'd say that's where i learned i still remember the lunch where he's like all right this is what you want to do you want to create an llc and you know this is an operating agreement and all this stuff and i was just like furiously taking notes so yeah that's probably where i learned the most was just people getting myself out there not being shy so if you're looking at your portfolio right now and all the different things you invested in, you mentioned the board game company as well. What are the maybe the three top investment vehicles that you've utilized right now that are generating you the most passive income? Yeah. And by the way, this is a combination of not only my own experiences, but I have a lot of friends and mentors where I ask that same question, you know, Here we um, go. bingo. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I got a friend of mine who I was just with him, just sold this company for $877 million. And, you know, him and I are sitting down in his lake house and, you know, I'm asking him because he's significantly older than I am. And I'm like, what did you do? Like, what are you doing right now? Now that you sold this company or like, what would you recommend? I really asked him the exact same question that you guys just asked me. So the three things that I invest in the most, number one is my own business and my own people. I invest into my own team members and my own business as, as much as I can. Like whether it's, Hey, like we're going to purchase this course for you, right? It's $15,000, but it's going to help us out with like this, right? Like even to just like, Hey, let's just go play around the golf. Right. And it's on me because it, it relieves the nerves, right? Like we're just going able to have fun and, you know, able to talk business. Team morale. All right. Team morale. Right. So I invest into my own business a lot. I mean, that's probably where I think we only take like, nine or ten thousand dollars in dividends every month if that right and we're just living off of that and everything else we just reinvest into our business so that's number one and number two obviously real estate right so i invest into a lot of my own deals i invest into some of my clients coaching clients deals from time to time and then last but not least it's just passive opportunities like the board game company it's just like so private small businesses or any ventures that people come to me and say hey i need 50,000, 60, 75,000, $150,000 here to launch this business. And it's a lot like Shark Tank where it's like, what are your sales, right? Like what's the fluidity of that business? What's the sustainability of that business, right? So those three things and, you know, stuff here and there, like, you know, I paid like, I think 45 grand to get like a Shopify or like a Walmart automation e-commerce store that's passive. So that generates a good chunk of money for us every month. So a lot of different one-offs, but the top three, I would say our own businesses, real estate, and then, you know, last but not least, just passive opportunities that come our way. How do you evaluate the different opportunities and determine which ones you invest in? Because I can only imagine that you get so many offers in your inbox every day through your network. How do you weed out the ones that you want to focus on? Yeah, that's a great question. So like I tell a lot of people, you get better at investing in other things by investing in yourself first. So one of the things that I was really intentional about the last four or five years is investing and learning about people and reading people. Like I've had deals brought to me where it's like, oh my gosh, like this is a layup, right? Like this is like, we can't miss. 
And the person ends up being the wrong person, whether it's for moral reasons, whether it's like they just didn't have the competence or whether they didn't know how to evaluate risk, which by the way, like that's like the number one thing I look for in an entrepreneur or a real estate investor when I invest into them as a passive investor or an LP is how good are they at mitigating and recognizing risk? That is the number one thing that I look for by far, because if you could learn how to mitigate and minimize and recognize risk, everything else is going to take care of itself. Like as long as it's a half decent idea, as long as it's a half decent piece of real estate, I mean, it'll do just fine, right? Like it'll do eight, nine, 10, sometimes 18. I have one deal that I was telling you guys off the air where I'm getting 39% return. So it will be just fine. But for me, I analyze the person 70%. The 30%, I analyze, okay, what's the product? What's the offer? And then what is the market reacting to it? Does it have legs? Does it have sustainability? So, I mean, right now, like I wouldn't invest into a mortgage company, right? Because like the, <laughs> the amount of refinances and mortgage applications have like, yeah. like halved, right? In like the last yeah. two or three months or something like that. So yeah, I'd say mainly 70% the person, 30%, what is the market saying? And what's the opportunity? What's the product? Wow. That is, uh, yeah, I was just taking notes that there's a lot of great stuff. What's your online real estate financial education company look like right now? Yeah, we give away a lot of things for free. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I think 90% of the content that I teach, like we just give it away for free. But I do offer a coaching service for people who do want to, you know, be more interested in real estate investing. And even if you're a passive investor, like I cover a lot on how to read certain GPs, like how to do deals with them, how to protect yourselves, how to do this. Cause there's a lot of lucrative ways you can do it as a passive investor, but that's more of like the one-on-one coaching. So I have a really big philosophy where it's like, it's really tough to learn how to invest in real estate unless you have somebody who really knows what they're doing like walking alongside you and kind of coaching you. It's very few and far between, very seldom that I meet somebody who like, yeah, I I read a bunch of books and I listened to a bunch of courses. And then that's when I went out and did my first deal. Like it rarely happens that way. And and I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, I have a couple of friends who are certainly that way. Right. But 99% of people, right. Like they need someone there on the day to day to work with. So I give away a lot of my stuff for free online. I mean, people can literally just go to the quackbrothers.com and then click the tab free stuff. And then there, like, there it is. We have a free course on raising capital, free owner financing course. I give away my book for free, a lot of free stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you say that's kind of like, you know, a part of marketing as well? I mean, truly most people probably just want to learn and do it themselves, but the people who are truly interested will and need a little bit more handholding will join. Is that your thinking? No, because I'd say like in business, there's leading indicators and there's lagging indicators, right? So like the lagging indicator is I want to make $10 million by the time I'm 45 years old. The leading indicators are, hey, I'm going to read three books a week. I'm going to you know, spend one hour with this individual. Like those are the leading indicators. So for me, like I truly believe that like the brand and our revenue, like that's a lagging indicator. One of the leading indicators for me is if I can help other people you know, make money, then I know I can too. And it's so mm-hmm. cliche because I feel like that's said in like a thousand different podcasts and like a million different books. We're like, well, you got to help, you got to give value and you got to help others or right? like sales is helping. Right. But like at the end of the day, like it is true, you know, and I feel like we're at a point in society where it's like the things that are said over and over and over again are not being done. Otherwise they would not be continued to be repeated. Because there's some guy out there in a podcast who's saying that and there's someone going, oh my gosh, that's so genius. And it's the response, that response right there, the reason being is because it's not normalized, which like it should be, right? It should be normalized. But yeah, it's I just 
do a lot of the things that a lot of these Instagram influencers say they do, but they, they, they just don't. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Can you, can you explain what that means? Yeah. So Warren Buffett talks about the eight to 12 year cycles in the market. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about it, you know, he said that in a day and age where social media didn't exist, right? Like you got your information by reading the newspaper. Like you found out what the stock price was or something by literally getting some, having a 13 year old boy ride a bicycle and throw a piece of paper on your lawn. That's how you found out, right? Mm -hmm. Nowadays, we have Discord groups with tens of thousands of people, you know, Reddit communities, right? We have social media, I mean, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. We have all these guys that are producing, you know, quote unquote content, but it's very easy for someone to say something out of inexperience. So Mm -hmm. aside from YouTube, I post very little. Like if you go on my personal Instagram, the last post you see of me is in it's like December 16th of last year. And it's a picture of my wife and I with my mom and my dad, my, you know, Sam, my brother, his, you know, my sister-in-law, Grace, and our beautiful niece, Rebecca. Like, you don't really see me on videos talking about like, you got to give value, man. Right. Or like, you got to have your perspective. Right. You don't see me because at the end of the day, like I'm 28. Like I was sitting with a friend of mine who's 59 years old. He's a CEO of a very, very large company. And he kind of just said, like, you know, one of the things I really wish I understood when I was your age, Daniel, because his path and I are very similar, right? Like he started entrepreneurship when he was 18. And, you know, like this guy literally built, he took a company to give you an idea. He took a company from 30 million. And when he left after five years, the company was valued at $2.7 billion. Mm-hmm. And it's a brand that everybody would recognize. I mean, it's very, very popular. And I was sitting down with him and he said something that like that's hit me. He goes like, Daniel, I remember thinking when I was your age, I was in the prime of my professional career. And the reality is I wasn't actually in the prime of my professional career until I was probably in my mid forties. And he kind of just looked at me and goes like, no disrespect, but you're still kind of a rookie. And it's mm-hmm. kind of hard for me to think that way. Cause I get asked to be on a lot of podcasts and a lot of you know, speaking engagements. So it's easy for me to feel like I've arrived. And I imagine it's very easy for someone with a million Instagram followers to feel the same way, right? It's like, well, because I have a million Instagram followers, like I made it, like I'm successful. And for me, it's just kind of like, yeah, in the social media world, but in the actual finance and investing world, like you've done nothing, right? Like you're kind of speaking out of inexperience. And for me, that's kind of why it's like, I've chosen to stay silent, right? And another thing too, it's like, the market's doing great relatively, right? If you look at the last five, seven, eight years, everyone's been crushing it. So it's easy for someone to hold up a wholesale check. Like I made $36,000 by wholesaling this one property. Like, of course, because the market's doing great, right? Like it's doing awesome. But let's see who's saying that in two, three, four, five years, you know? For me, that's what I'm more so interested in, you know, more so than the guy who's got a million followers on Instagram going like, hey, like, Here's things you could do right now to make a million dollars by the time you're 20 years old, right? I don't know. Maybe just me personally, but I get a little turned off by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's a lot of broke million people following YouTubers, TikTokers, and all that. And, you know, the culture has probably changed a lot with the Gen Z as well, right? So, you know, a lot of the people actually know that make a lot more money silently. They're very silent and they chose to do that for a reason, right? So for yourself, myself, I leave, kind of stick our head out, try to help out more people. But at the same time, a lot of, you know, the last generation kind of be like, Cody, like, why don't you just do this? Spend more time doing that. That makes you money instead of wasting your time doing all of this. You know, that yeah. was a hit to me, but I'm like, but I don't know. It's a, 
a generation I, thing. I think you guys are different though, because you guys are creating a platform where people who do know what they're doing can share, mm-hmm. right? And that's one of the things that I've learned recently too, is like the beauty and the power of, of sharing and not teaching. Like that is incredible. Because if you teach, you're kind of dick, your way is the right way. Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. do it like this. Mm-hmm. But if you're more so sharing, you're actually inviting other people to, hey, like this is how I did it. Right. Like you figure it out yourself. You're teaching them to train the muscle, not lifting the weight for them. I think that's not so. I think you guys are different in a way where like you guys are providing that platform where people can share. They're not the ones, you know, kind of just going like, hey, this is the way you should do it. And, you know, if you want to be a millionaire by 12 years old, this is what you need to do every day. Right. I think there's a lot of beauty in what you guys do because of it. Yeah. I think also, you know, everybody has a different pathway. Everybody's situation is a little bit different. So there's no one right or wrong way to do it. But if we can just share multiple different ways that so many different people have been able to do it, maybe you can pick pieces and bits from each of the different guests or the people that we're bringing on and then kind of piecemeal it into fit your own personal lifestyle or your own goals, however you want to handle it and to you know achieve your own freedom. Yeah, that's very well said. So Daniel, I want to ask you this (laughs) because you have a real estate coaching business. You're an angel investor. You're in the fun kind of fun capital raising business as well. You know, a lot of the, the very successful business owners as well. What are the top three opportunities right now for people like yourself or someone to start looking at? Like you said, you want to stand out. So what is standing out to you in terms of rewards slash risks right now? Yeah. So the I put you on the spot. I know it's a tough question. I'll I'll share, (laughs) right? I'll share what I'm doing. So what I am personally doing is I'm putting a lot of my money into kind of like what I said earlier, I'm putting a lot of money into my own business, but understandably, a lot of people who make $250,000 a year, you know, a lot of them don't own a business, right? They're either mm-hmm. a very high corporate executive, maybe they're a physician, maybe they're an attorney, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that looks like. And they have a very high time demanding job. You know, as my experience shows and my observation shows, uh, a lot of people who make, you know, high six figures, it's, they work a lot, right? Like it is very demanding. And it's probably chances are the reason why you guys started this podcast is because, you know, you're wanting to give, tips and tricks away to people who are too busy to do a lot of these things on Mm -hmm. their own. So strictly from a passive standpoint, you know, I'm investing in a lot of things that I know will be around in five, 10 years. So, you know, a lot of the industries that I know have legs, even the board game company I invested in, like he showed me a contract of, I think it was like 2,500 purchased orders or something like that. He showed me an order for like a contract that some company like say, Hey, we want 2,500 over the next like five years. So I was like, okay, there's guarantee there. But I invest into a lot of e-commerce stuff, a lot of things that just I know are going to be around the next five, 10 years. So on top of that, my own real estate, I recommend a lot of people get into real estate right now because in my opinion, it's the best of both worlds. Because right now, on one hand, you have people who want to invest their money and not hold it in cash because of high inflation. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you kind of do want cash because we're about to enter an age where asset prices, whether it's real estate, securities, or equities, are about to take a significant discount or so we think, right? Mm-hmm. There's like an 80% chance. We'll call it 83.4. <laughs> there you go. So like people are kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Like the amount of questions I've gotten from people who are like, well, like Daniel, inflation's at like 8.3%. If I keep it liquid, then like I lose 8.3% every year. But at the same time, like I don't want to invest into anything right now, especially mm-hmm. because like prices are really high. Mm-hmm. So 
I would recommend real estate because those two things, and I know I'm a real estate guy, so I sound biased, but in my opinion, real estate takes care of both their problems, right? Because you know, one of the greatest inflation hedges, if not the greatest inflation hedges as supported by you know, hundreds of years of financial patterns is real estate. It's that's how you hedge it. Right. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand of the spectrum, you know, asset prices being high, if you buy into cash flowing multifamily real estate, the value doesn't exactly matter as much. As long as the GP or the sponsor is able to responsibly structure the debt to be fixed rate long term secured. And you're cash flowing the first 30 days and you're in a market where you know rent is going to be sustainable and wages and growth are going to be sustainable. That's a home run, in my opinion, right now. Like that is an absolute home run. So that's why for us, you know, I mean, we have a real estate fund that does multifamily and self-storage. Uh, we're staying away from retail and office space. We're very picky about the way we choose our deals. Like I think we're only making offers on, gosh, like less than 1% of the deals that we come across, the ones that I look at. And the reason being is because like, even if one red flag is off, like I know that one risk could derail the whole situation. So I'm looking at very specific real estate deals. And then thirdly, you know, putting a lot of my own money right now in whole life insurance policies. So like increasing the cash value. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the infinite banking strategy, yeah, but I have uh, that's something that I'm ones. implementing right now with yeah. my perfect. Yeah. So same, right. So like that's, so we, my wife IBC. and I, we just pulled a big policy. <laughs> Yeah. And the guy and like IBC is tricky because there's so many people out there who like don't do it the right way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you're talking about the pure Nelson Nash way of doing it, right. Like the OG, like the original book, like, and thankfully the guy I work with, he's a really good friend of mine. And we're actually about to start an agency together because I think more people should know about this. Like he was directly mentored under Nelson Nash. Yeah. The other guys who do IUL, there's other guys who Exactly. You're right. He's certified. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's other guys who like they preach IULs. I'm not a big fan of IUL policies right now, just based on how markets look. But yeah, I'm personally doing a whole life, you know, cash value policy right now with my wife. So that's personally what I'm putting a lot of my money into my own business, real estate, but very specifically structured real estate and then life insurance policies. I'm going to add on to that question. Sorry, Ali. I know we're kind of running out of time, but this is the last question. I promise. <laughs> all of all these three things, I a lot of money into your business, things that will be around the five, 10 years, which is e-commerce in your opinion, real estate, you know, you guys are doing multifamily self-storage and then your own, you know, infinite banking concept insurance. How do you allocate these? Let's say you have a hundred K. How do you allocate the money? It's a great question. I probably do like 40,000 to my own business. I probably do like 40,000 into real estate and then 20,000 into insurance policy. And if you're a passive investor that doesn't have their own business, mm-hmm. I would say 70,000 into real estate, 30,000 into insurance slash passive opportunities that get sent your way. I'm so big on real estate right now because in a world where you just don't know what things are going to be around anymore, I think 90% of NFT projects are going to go to the wayside. Like That's actually why I intentionally did not invest into NFTs or a large sum of money into cryptocurrencies because it reminded me so much of what I read about with the dot-com bubble, you know, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't old enough to know what actually happened, but a lot of my mentors that I spoke to, you know, I've got a mentor, you know, his name's Mike, he's pushing 70 now, but you know, at at the height of his career, the guy had $1.6 billion worth of real estate, you know, under Mm -hmm. his name. And I'm talking to a lot of these guys who've been around for so long. And they're just saying that it reminds them, you know, the NFTs and the crypto craze reminds them so much of the the dot-com bubble, 
right with the internet. So I'd say real estate is probably the best option for passive investors, those who are not business owners, entrepreneurs to invest into, because you know it's going to be around. And especially if you can find a guy who really knows what's happening in the market and really knows how to structure debt and really knows how to secure his income streams, I'd say go with that person. Like I'd say chances are 95%. That's the right choice above anything else you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Of course, you got to know how to structure the deal, make sure it's cash flowing so it can carry that even through the thick or thin of the market, right? So like, there's reasons why 90% of the millionaires, if not billionaires, all invest in real estate or come from real estate, really, right? So it's not, I would say it's the easiest thing, but it's just a very strong demand thing that just won't go away, right? And you can keep your money in that asset. And whether it's inflation, deflation, whatever that is, you still have that piece of property and there's still more population growth, yeah. right? So love it. <laughs> At least <laughs> make sure yeah. we're on time. We don't <laughs> want to go over time. So do you have anything to add before we go into our... I have one more question before we get jump into lightning round because yeah, you yeah, know please. the whole the whole podcast is you know high income earners fire and so everybody has a different version of what fire looks like for themselves. For you, what does that really mean? What does that look like? And are you there? And are you going to continue to push forward on your path to financial independence? Yeah, I'm not really driven by money. Like you should see the car I drive. Before I used to drive a 2011 Toyota Corolla for like 10 years, and then. Like I now drive a 2018 Hyundai Tucson. Like I don't really live in a house. My wife and I live in a townhome. So, I mean, for me, like I've stopped needing to do this for money, like a good amount of time ago. Right. And when I say good amount of time ago, I mean like four or five years, right. Some other people that might mean like 2030, not pointing any finger, but you know, but for me, I think so many people focus on offense. When I say offense, like people ask me the question, Hey, what do I need to invest into? to obtain financial independence. And a lot of times people don't look at stuff like restructuring their tax structure, like figuring out how to pay less tax, how to keep more of the money you save more so than trying to make more of it. Like I think as human beings, like we're so engineered for more and more and more, like quantity, not quality. I think a lot of people underestimate, like especially the ones who make, you know, $400,000 or more, like talking a 30 minute conversation with the right CPA could save like 20% of your income. And even just investing that, like investing the difference into something that's average, like that's night and day, <laughs> like that's night and day stuff. So I honestly spend more time like learning how to protect and restructure, like, especially my conversation with like CPA, like my tax, I have a great tax professional. Like he is like world-class, right? I think he's like the LeBron James of tax people, but you know, stuff like that and you know, and then talking to guys, you know, like my life insurance guy, you know, Dave, and other individuals, my attorney, Michael, right? Like staying close to these guys, especially right now. Like I think some, that's something that people really underestimate is the taxes. And that's another reason why I bring up real estate because it's the, in my opinion, it's the best thing to invest into when you're talking about a really high, sophisticated, high financially efficient tax structure. It's up there, right? Like it's phenomenal. So I'd say that's number one. Like people don't really take that into account. And number two is finding ancillary income. So I help do this with businesses a lot, right? With like the businesses that I'm part of and I'm on their board is, you know, every business has like kind of their main product, but they don't realize that if you could sell other things with it, it actually ends up doubling, tripling, even sometimes quadrupling your revenue. So, you know, I'll give you an example. So one of the companies my brother and I own, 
called Accelerate Banking. So we help families pay off their mortgage faster, utilizing one of our strategies. And the strategy includes getting a home equity line of credit, right? So I the saw that you transfer amortized debt into simple interest debt. Yeah, for sure, right? It blew up, right? It got a lot of views. But you know, one of the things that we realized was our main product is $5,000. Well, okay, so we have revenue coming from that, but we didn't realize, wait, hold on, by creating a joint venture relationship with the bank and taking a percentage of the underwriting, we can actually double our revenue right then and there without doing any more work. So I think if people just sat down for 15, 20, 30 minutes with someone who's really financially smart and capable and started talking about ways where, hey, how can I increase my ancillary income with things that I'm already doing? I think a lot of people will be surprised at how much they could generate and how much they can increase. So between that and playing defense and, and you know sitting down with a tax professional or a good tax professional that knows what you're doing and kind of hitting your finances from both sides, again, you're not starting a, an extra lemonade stand. You're not having to start an extra business. You're not having to buy a piece of real estate. Like Even those two things alone, I think people will be really surprised at what comes of it. Love it. Great question. So Stay close to your lawyer's accountant and, of course, your doctor. <laughs> and the second is, if you guys run a business... Yeah, the people around you, right? Yeah. And the second thing is that if you run a business, you have a main kind of offer. Just see if there's anything like referrals or auxiliary income that can kind of supplement that. Make your business integrate even better. You create more value for your customer, but also you generate another stream of income, but you're not diverting your attention to another lemonade stand kind of thing. Right. So great, great things. That being said, are we ready for our lightning round? Yep. I think we are, Daniel. So the first question is, if you became a billionaire tomorrow, what would your day look like? I play a lot more golf. My producer, Nick and I, we went out, we played golf this morning. I'm based out of like Chicagoland area, but I don't think I do anything different. I really don't. Yeah. Sorry. It's a cheesy answer. I know, but. It's interesting because a lot of people that we talk to, they say the same things. The people who are already, who are doing what they love already because they choose to do it, not because they have to do it anymore. They say, basically, our lives are going to look the same. We're not going to change much on our day-to-day activities. We're just going to continue on doing the things that we love, which is you know, sharing, doing your YouTube videos, podcasting, real estate investing, everything like that. They just continue on with what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I play golf as well. Again, I'm in Canada, so have ever come to Canada or if I'm ever in Chicago, you know, we'll see if we can go off a round. <laughs> now, the next Sorry, question. We'll set it up for sure. For sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. And the next question will be, if you know what you know right now and you lose everything and somehow a half million dollar drop from the sky, how would you start all over again? Yeah, I'd probably start a real estate investing company and I would actually spread that half a million dollars into 10 different chunks of 50,000. Mm-hmm. I would raise a bunch of capital and I just put 50,000 into each deal that I do, you know, again and again and again and again. And a lot of it obviously would go towards marketing. I would probably create a team, you know, but if I'm judging by what I know best, I'd probably start a real estate investing company or I'd probably start another product actually. Yeah, I would pick something. I think it'd be fun. It'd be fun for me to do that at some point. 
Like, I feel like if half a million dollars dropped in the sky and lost everything, I'd be like, you know what? Let's not, maybe not do real estate this time. Maybe pick something else. I don't know. Maybe I'll get into like dry cleaning, but I don't know. There's already, <laughs> there's already a lot of people that do that that are Korean. So maybe I shouldn't do that, but I don't know. I pick something different. I feel like at that point, I would just have fun. I'd be like, let's just have fun. Like, you know, I've done it before. So it's like, I know I can do it again. Let's just pick something else. Well, maybe you'll be able to. Is that the... a bad answer? That's not maybe... very informative, but. <laughs> maybe you'll build the board game this time. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And if you could interview anyone in the world on a podcast, who would that be? I would probably interview, aside from like Jesus, I would probably interview Adolf Hitler. Like, I'm actually serious because I would love to pick his brain. Like, dude, you managed to get millions of people to follow something that is just outright evil, right? Like, how did you do it? Right. Like, what was like, tell me about your thought process. Like, uh, you know, cause I feel like he's the most depicted, one of the most, you know, picked on characters in history. And like, I'm really interested by the extremes, right? Like by the extreme evil and the extreme good. Like, I'm really, really intrigued by extremes. So I'd probably interview, like, if I could, one person on each side, like just pick somebody who did amazing for the world, like Mother Teresa, or, and then pick somebody on the opposite end of the spectrum. And pick someone like who's like genuinely purely evil and just kind of see like, all right, like similarities, differences, mm -hmm. like conviction is success on both sides the same. Like that's something I'd be really, really interested. Wow. Yeah. That never heard that before. That's why I love to have, you know, young people come on the podcast because they have a, they bring it a fresher energy as well. And I think from whatever the controversial things that he has done aside from his perspective, he was doing something great from his perspective and he did everything that you said about avatar he knows his avatar and he knows what the market was telling him and he give out irreversible offers so it fits all three of that right so you know again it's not to say whether it's right or wrong but it's just from that perspective right now what are other ways that you are giving back at this moment or planning to do yeah, I give a lot financially, but you know, I, I like to give away my time if I can. So there's people who are like, hey, like, can I reach out to you for some advice? Can I, you know, email you a bunch of questions I have about a deal, or whatever? And I try to help out as much as I can, but obviously I try to salvage as much time and allocate as much time for my coaching clients. You know, that's one of the things my wife and I love to do is, you know, we love to just, you know, help people go on, like feed my starving children. There's a great organization that's, you know, nearby our place. And, you know, we like, we love doing that. There's another one called Naomi's house where they help formerly sex trafficked women re-enter society, right? So they do job training, they do therapy for them. And, you know, my wife and I have given some money to that organization. And I've introduced a lot of my buddies, you know, in the medical field to that organization. And we try to help out as much as we can. So there's great causes out there. But at the end of the day, for me, it's just, you know, what is God asking me to do today? You know, that's how I try to live my life by. So again, very vague answer, but it is an honest one. And so Daniel, if our listeners also wanted to find out more about you, Where's the best place that they can go? Yeah, probably just the clockbrothers.com. You know, that's we have a lot of our free stuff there. We, you know, give away a lot of things. So the clockbrothers.com is probably the best place to go. My email is Daniel at the clockbrothers.com. So I, you know, I'm pretty open about giving my email out, especially if the podcast that I'm doing is, you know, a good one. And a lot of times the audience is reflective of the host. So if I like the host and I think they're really good people, then I, I give out my email address. 
don't get you'd be surprised there be there have been some podcast hosts who are just jerks right i was like i don't know if i want to do that because you know like if they're a jerk probably a lot of jerks listen to them and i don't want to hang out with jerks so usually if i have podcast hosts who are genuinely good people and they're genuinely curious they're action takers yeah i give out email address because chances are that's who are following them as well well, Daniel, this is a super great episode. And I'm super excited and grateful that you've come and you know shared some of your time with us today. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. All the links mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. And if you love this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. The link is also included in the show notes. And we would really appreciate your help in spreading the word to more high income earners on how they too can maximize both their time and money. Also, if you still haven't joined our High Income Earners Facebook group, you are missing out on High Income Earners community where we help each other reach our own version of FIRE.